Today, I'm talking all about the causes of bloody diarrhoea. Are next guard and Brevecto safe? And what are the alternatives? I'm discussing itchy ears, the causes and the treatment of them. I'm discussing allergic reactions, what you should know, and also how to stop your dog from licking you. But first, let's cue the intro. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast, the show that answers all of your dog and cat health questions so they can live healthier, happier lives. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. Hi, and welcome to episode number 10 of the Dr. Alex Answers Show. I'm Dr. Alex, the veterinarian behind ourpetshealth.com, where my aim is to help you and your pet to live a healthier, happier life. Thanks for joining me on this episode. I've got some fantastic questions coming up, three of which are dealing with skin and the creepy crawlies that can cause a whole load of problems for our pets. But before we get into them, if we're meeting for the first time and you enjoy the show, then make sure you subscribe and you can also get your question answered just by heading over to dralexanswers.com. Also, before we start, I'd just like to read you a kind review I've had from Alpine Annie, and she writes that she's a cat lover. I'm a person that is obsessed with my animals, and I love having a podcast to answer all my weirdo questions without having to go to the vet right away. Great host and excellent information. Well, thanks so much for that kind review. All weirdo questions are certainly welcome. And if you enjoy the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a review like Annie. Just head over to rpetshealth.com slash review. Thank you so much. And so my first question is from Jem. um, And she noticed that her dog had some diarrhea with blood that was first discovered in the morning. And she's just wondering what the causes are and kind of what the treatment is. So... Um, kind of start off with what the causes of diarrhea with blood in. Now, a simple colitis is most common. So that's an inflammation um, of the lower intestinal tract. So not up by the stomach, but lower down. Um, and that's the most common common kind of cause of diarrhea with a little bit of blood. So that'll typically be um, kind of blood flex um, rather than a, a stool that is completely blood. Um, there may also, and there's very often also some mucus present in that stool. And simple colitis also often causes straining so it might be that your dog is straining and seems to want to go to the toilet but actually very little is being produced and that's a normal sign of colitis as well but there are other causes of bloody diarrhea in dogs um, and some of those uh, include uh, hemorrhagic gastroenteritis now that is a condition that comes on very very suddenly um more often than not it comes on very suddenly it's thought that it's due to maybe a clostridial infection although that's not always um, the case so that's a a certain type of bacteria but you've got a stool a diarrhea that is just incredibly bloody so it's it almost looks like completely complete blood sometimes Um, and that can cause dogs to become unwell very very quickly they get very dehydrated and they definitely need treatment um, at the hospital or the vet clinic for that Um, you can also get infections such as parvovirus which is um, clearly a very serious infection and one of the main diseases that we vaccinate our dogs against. We can get bloody diarrhea due to parasites, so um, different types of parasite within the gut, so worms and that kind of thing. You can have an intestinal foreign body, so a dog who's eaten something and it's working its way down, causing irritation and ulceration of the lower intestines um, or even getting obstructed. Now, by the time it gets down to the lower intestines and when we would expect to be seeing kind of blood uh often it will pass because it's already got through the most narrow bits if a uh, uh something is getting stuck higher up in the intestine so in the small intestines or even in the stomach if that's causing bleeding then actually what will happen is we'll see kind of a dark tarry stool because the blood that's being produced and leaking into the intestines is getting digested and that causes a, a 
dark kind of black tarry stool. Um, other causes of bloody diarrhea, though, can be tumours of the colon, so they can be bleeding, and that tumours can also be um, interrupting the normal absorption and digestion of um, of the food within the within the intestines. And then another thing that can sometimes cause what we think is maybe a bit of blood on the stool is actually a ruptured anal gland abscess. So the anal glands are two sacs e- that that normally express either side of the the anus. If they become infected and enlarged, then they can burst out through the skin, which can cause quite a blood and pussy discharge and if that's coating the stool then you might think that your dog has um, got bloody diarrhea but actually they've got an anal gland abscess so those are kind of the most common causes of um, diarrhea with blood in them in dogs really what's the treatment then well if we're dealing with a simple colitis which is like I said earlier by far and away the most common thing then and you know if a dog is otherwise well if they're eating if they're drinking if there's no vomiting if they're bright and active then really a bland diet and monitoring are really likely to be sufficient Uh, I actually discussed in the last episode of the Dr Alex Answers show um, all about the different feeding options for a dog with colitis so definitely go back to to that episode the last one um, and check out that answer there Um, but if your dog has bloody diarrhea if they're unwell if there's lots of blood within the stool so not if it's just a kind of a little bit of a of a flecking you know a small amount of blood but if it's completely kind of covered in blood and there's blood throughout the stool then it's definitely best to get checked out by your vet just to check that there's no other treatment be that antibiotics be that intravenous fluids be that other investigations x-rays and that kind of thing that needs doing so i hope that helps if you ever have a dog with bloody diarrhea you're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Show. And my next question is from Renee, who asks, um, given the warning in September of 2018 by the FDA regarding NexGuard and other drugs in that class, which indicate potential negative side effects, which product would you recommend for her dog, Bella, who also has syringeomyelia? Um, so let's start off with the fact that the FDA released a memo about the isoxazoline class of drugs and that includes products like Nexgard but also Brevecto, Simparica and Credilio. Um, They fall all under that isoxazoline class of drug. Um, These drugs are used to treat and prevent flea infestations and also to kill ticks Um, and when they were first released the recognised side effects really were diarrhea, vomiting, drooling and inappetence but over time it's become apparent that there are very rare instances of muscle tremors wobbliness and even seizures in dogs taking these drugs you know the incidence though is very very low so it's important not to over exaggerate that um but it doesn't always include dogs that had a previous history of seizures. So if a dog who's had seizures before, you might expect them to be more affected. But actually, some dogs have had seizures who haven't had a history of that in their in their past. So, you know, I think potentially we shouldn't be using these classes of drug in dogs with epilepsy. Um, and probably it's a good idea to be cautious if there is a history of seizures or if there's felt to be a high risk of a, a dog developing seizures, you know, over and above what that normal risk was would be now this fda alert was really to further publicize the potential risks of these drugs rather than reporting a previously unknown potential side effects so it's been known that these classes of drugs can cause neurological signs but really they are still considered safe and they're still considered an effective treatment um, because the risk of this is very very low um you know it 
any drug that we give, and I've said this kind of time and again, any drug that we give that's actually doing something has the potential to cause side effects. Um, we shouldn't lose focus of the fact of why we're giving these drugs in the first place. You know, that said, there are plenty of other flea prevention and treatment products out there that are very effective. You know, they will all come with their own risk of side effects, though, as well. Um much like these isoxazoline drugs, though, the risk is very, very small. There are also several other tick products, although in my mind, really, the only one that is just about as effective as this class of drug is the Soresto Collar. So there are other drugs that are licensed for the uh, for, to, to kill ticks and to, to prevent ticks from biting and feeding. But really, in my experience, they're not nearly as effective or as rapid in their ability to kill ticks as either the Soresto Collar, so long as that's applied properly um, and it's renewed when it needs to be renewed or the isoxazolines. I think they've kind of been revolutionary in our ability to um, prevent tick bites, um, to kill ticks much more rapidly um, and much more effectively and reliably and so prevent tick-borne disease. Now the best product to use for any individual dog, it really depends on the local risk of parasites um, and the diseases that are that, that, that they can potentially carry which are present in some areas but not others and that's something that I'm actually going to kind of come to in a later question in today's episode um, and you know if you're wondering about ticks in particular for a rundown of ticks um, especially in relation to Lyme's disease then I'll make sure I add a link in the show notes to one of my previous articles that discusses all about this but the bottom line is is that Nexgard, Brevecto, Simparica they are very effective drugs they do a very good job of both preventing flea infections infestations treating flea infestations and um killing ticks um, and they do a much better job than the vast majority of other tick products out there and although there is a risk of developing tremors and even seizures this risk is very 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 low so it's something like less than one in 10,000 dogs will experience this and it's likely to be much lower so you know while we need to bear all of these things in mind and if your dog is epileptic we should definitely be cautious um, but we don't want to over exaggerate the risks when there are potential benefits and when we're using them to treat or to prevent sorry diseases like Lyme's disease which are potentially fatal. Okay, so before we move on, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast episode is brought to you by um, the rpetshealth.com guide to raw feeding. So this is my free ebook that goes through all of the risks and benefits of raw feeding compared to kibble. If you just head over to dralexanswers.com and sign up for the free download resource center, then you'll get access to this free ebook as well as all of my other guides, calculators and downloads, all designed to help you and your pet to live a healthier, happier life. Right, so the next question is sent in by Maisie, um, who writes that six months ago, their dog started to scratch her right ear constantly, noticed a tarry buildup, um, it was cleaning the ears with a natural product, but the dog was still scratching, um, the wax was still building up, uh, and at a vet check, the vet said it wasn't infected, but to keep the ear hairs trimmed and not to pull the hairs out but still months later the dog's still scratching constantly and sometimes even when the ears are being touched um the dog is yelping they are they do have a slight smell but the ears aren't particularly red to look at but 
you know, what could be going on and what could be done about it? Well, we need to first think about why the dog is scratching and getting a wax buildup. And there can be a number of causes of itching, and that can include parasites to start with. So that could be fleas, but it could also be mites, so ear mites in particular. We could get allergic skin disease. So again, that can be a flea allergic dermatitis, so an allergy to fleas. It can be uh, an allergy to pollens and other um, things within the environment, which is something that we call atopy. Um, and we can also get um, a food allergy that causes itchy skin. And then we can also get local ear problems. So that can be just ears that have had chronic long-term infection that's caused a narrowing of the, the actual ear canals, which makes a kind of subsequent infections more likely. We, hairy ears can certainly increase the risk of infection. Um, the, the kind of big flappy ears, so like spaniels have. Um, water in the ears as well. So a dog who likes swimming and also any masses as well. If there's a mass within the ear canal, then that can make infections um, more and, and irritations much more likely. So when we're thinking about kind of treating itchy ears um, or ear disease in general, we need to address the underlying causes. So it shouldn't simply be a case of popping ear medication down there and leaving it at that, doing nothing else, especially if we've got a repeat problem, something that keeps flaring up or is poorly controlled with that initial treatment. So because as I already said, long-term ear inflammation can cause scarring, which makes future problems more likely. Um, and we also need to address the underlying cause because at the end of the day, being itchy all the time is absolutely miserable for a dog. I liken it to being in pain all the time, being in constant pain. Being itchy has the same effect on quality of life. It's just miserable. So there's a number of things we can do to, to try and diagnose the problem. So we can take um, samples from within the ear. We can do ear smears, looking at whether there's yeast or bacterial infection, whether there's um, any uh, any excuse me, any resistant infection. So we can send off for culture and sensitivity as well, take a swab and send that off to the lab. We might also want to be uh, taking x-rays to look at the middle ear if we suspect that there is a middle ear infection or a mass in the middle ear that's underlying all of these problems. We might want to do a trial treatment, so give an anti-allergy medication, for example, something like Apoquel. We might want to do a diet trial, so change to a skin diet or an exclusion diet to try and rule out a food allergy. And then, you know, once we've done all of those, treatment really is going to depend on the underlying cause and controlling this if at all possible. So we might be using a cleaner to help mobilise wax um, and create an environment that doesn't favour the growth of bugs. And there are some great cleaners out there that, that do just that. They're not antibiotics, but they're antibacterial. They dry the air and they help reduce the buildup of debris within the air and provide a, an environment that isn't favourable for the bacteria or for the yeast to grow in. When we're cleaning the ears as well, we don't want to actually poke a Q-tip or a cotton bud down the ear to clean them because that can just push the wax deeper and compact it down, making the problem much worse. We want to be using the cleaner to, to mobilise that wax and then we just want to be taking a, a cloth or a tissue and wiping the outside surface of the canal that we can see. So just removing the, the wax and debris that way. And then something to mention, and I say to um, the vast majority of my clients who have pets with skin problems, is that skin conditions, and that includes ear disease, they can be incredibly frustrating and they can take some time to, to settle and to decide on the best treatment and prevention strategy for each individual. So it's often a case of working through a little bit of a process, um, seeing what works, seeing what the pet doesn't seem to respond to and coming up with a, a tailored individual treatment plan. So it's not a one size fits all strategy that will be appropriate for every individual dog. But yeah, we need to be thinking about, um, you know, tackling any infection that's present, addressing any underlying causes and then managing the condition ongoing. 
Ask your question at dralexanswers.com. Melissa writes in with the next question and she says that she went to the vet with her puppy who received a dose of revolution for fleas um, and after that his scratching actually got worse um, he got bumps on his stomach and ears um, he didn't she didn't know what to do to stop this reaction um, or could it be something else um, she applied cortisone to try and calm his itching but you know what's the cause and what can we do to to, to treat this to prevent these or to, to, to treat these lumps and to treat the itching that the little puppy has developed so we'll start off by saying that Revolution, it contains the active ingredient um, called selamectin, and it's primarily used to treat and prevent flea infestations, although it's also active against some other parasites as well. And like kind of any drug, as I have already discussed in the previous question about the isoxazoline class of drugs, any drug, there is a small risk of side effects. And it really does sound like this puppy has had an allergic reaction to the Revolution that's caused itchiness and hives. Of course, it could be actually that the, the dog was also stung by a bee or um, had an insect bite or something at a very similar time and that's caused the reaction so we can't say for certain that it was the revolution although you know I'm not a big fan of coincidences and you know that would have to be up there in the concerns now while an allergic reaction is a possibility you know there are other potential side effects to selamectin and that includes um, going off food um, drooling vomiting diarrhea um, you can even get labored breathing twitching and even seizures um, if we're having an allergic reaction to any kind of product or any you know any insect bite or anything like that um, these side effects they really are considered very rare though and generally affecting less than one in 10,000 animals. So, you know, it's not very common. Um, treatment of an allergy, it really depends on how severe it is. And that can include a number of different things. It can include antihistamines. Um, so that can be antihistamine tablets, um, steroids. Uh, so that can be injection. It can be tablets. It can also be creams. Or if we're having a severe allergic reaction, then adrenaline is going to be the thing to give. So just like um, with people who have uh, peanut allergies, for example, they'll carry an EpiPen around and that contains adrenaline. Um, to, which is for the treatment of severe reactions. So in the same way, if we've got a dog or a cat who's having a severe allergic reaction, then adrenaline may be something that we need, although it's very, very rare that that's the case. And, you know, the best treatment is going to be based on an examination of the of the patient by the vet um, to see what, you know, what works, what works best. Um, also, if we know that a dog has had allergies, so if we're talking about something like to a bee sting and they just get a little bit of itchiness and a bit of hives, then, you know, it would be appropriate to have, you know, some treatment on hand to give that without needing to necessarily consult with your vet providing that was um, doing the job and not making things and, and, and things weren't getting worse despite giving that treatment now what do we do with this puppy well you know I think that's based on the the vet's examination it doesn't sound like it was a severe enough reaction to need any um, kind of more serious intervention any injections but there are a number of things that can be given um we also want to avoid this happening in the future, obviously. So, you know, it might be a good idea to avoid this class of drug in future um, in this specific puppy. You know, talk to your vet about which products are appropriate, which other products are appropriate. And that's really going to depend on where you are in the world, um, depend on which parasites are present in your local area and what the disease risk is for diseases that are carried by parasites. So different parasites can be fleas, it can be ticks, um, it can be sand flies and diseases can be things like heartworm, leishmania, Lyme's disease. So there's a number of different things to consider and depending on all of those risks depends really on what the best class and the best product to use in your specific individual dog in your specific individual area.
And just remember that the information that I give in these podcasts is not a substitute for a consultation and examination with your pet's veterinarian and should not be taken as specific advice for any individual pet. If your pet is unwell, if they're injured or if they're suffering from any kind of problem, then talking to your vet is always the best course of action. And then I'm finishing up today with a question from Kate who asks, how can I train my dog not to lick people's feet? So, you know, dogs who are licking people, if your dog is licking you, it's really not an uncommon situation and it's not an uncommon problem. And there's a number of different reasons that we might want to stop that. It might be annoying. It's also potentially unhygienic, depending on where they're licking you. Um, but with any behaviour, you know, there are things that we can do to take steps to to stop this. So we can definitely stop your dog from licking you. And I'll start off by saying that consistency is key. So whenever we're doing any form of kind of training, any behavioural management, then it's important that not only are you consistent with your dog, but that everyone in the house is consistent and everyone that your dog comes across is consistent. So if your dog is licking you and you manage to take some steps to prevent that, but um, your partner or your children uh, are letting your dog lick them quite happily, then really you're giving your dog mixed messages and setting it up for failure really your dog's just going to be confused and it's not going to do what you want which is going to be frustrating for you so consistency is key everyone needs to do the same thing and the first step to take or the first thing to try would be just to ignore your dog so this way if you completely ignore your dog if your dog's licking your feet in this case but if they're licking your hand if they're licking your face if you just completely ignore them kind of cross your cross your arms don't look at them don't talk to them then the dog will learn that the behavior doesn't result in attention and then conversely if your dog stops and sits down or your dog is doing something else then you want to reward the good behavior that your dog is showing so ignore your dog completely while they're licking you the moment they stop and do something else maybe that sit down be that lie down next to you then you jump in and you reward them you give them your attention um you you know maybe give them treats um so that you're rewarding the good behavior and ignoring the behavior that you don't want to happen if that's not working then you know we want to just not allow it so the moment that your dog starts licking you you get up you walk away you go into another room and again in a similar way your dog will learn that the fun and the interaction stops as soon as it does that behavior so much the same way with puppy biting we say ow we um, withdraw our hands we maybe um, take ourselves out of the room the puppy learns that if they bite then the fun stops the same thing here if the dog licks the fun stops and that you know will soon teach them that 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 that's not something that they want to be doing and it's not in their interest you know we also want to potentially be distracting your dog so give it something to do so a lot of our dogs can be quite bored and you know this might be just a sign and expression of their boredom they're trying to pester you because they're wanting you know they're wanting some attention they're wanting something to do so give your dog something to do so it, that could also be something else to lick so that could be something like a licky pad um it could be a kong um there are various um kind of slow feeder treat bowls um snuffle mats you know there's lots of different things we can use to keep our dogs interested to give them some mental stimulation and to keep them active also you know we want to make sure that we're exercising that we're giving other forms of stimulation we're taking them out for runs um you know we're throwing a ball for them um you know that kind of thing just so that they they have a outlet for their energy so they've not just got lots of pent up frustrated energy um, and that, that that's causing them to pester you as well and then you know if despite ignoring them despite getting up and leaving the room despite giving your dog other things to do you know and you're still really struggling then something else to think about would be using something like a bitter apple spray in this case on your feet um, so that's something that you just would put pop, pop on there it's something that tastes disgusting so your dog will lick it and 
you know they won't like it um it's not harmful or anything but it's just something that they won't that, that, that they don't find appealing be warned though if all you're doing is using something like this then the licking is just going to move elsewhere so they'll start licking somewhere else or another problem behavior is going to develop so if we're using something like a bitter apple spray we need to be taking behave other behavioral modification steps that i've already discussed to stop that problem behavior if you're still struggling then you want to be getting in touch with a dog trainer with a behaviorist to try and set up some specific interventions and specific strategies for your for you know for your dog um that you know that would need to be kind of very much individualized to make a treatment plan but you know by and large those few strategies should do the job for most dogs and stop them licking you Okay, so that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on future episodes. And remember to head over to dralexanswers.com where you'll find all the links and downloads mentioned in today, as well as find a form that you can fill in to ask your own question to be featured on a show very soon. But until next time, I'm Dr. Alex. Take care. You've been listening to the Dr. Alex Answers podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the show where you ask the questions and Dr. Alex answers.